All right, going right to Revelation and the dirge of Babylon from astronauts to the end of all things. Would you stand with me? And we'll read Revelation chapter 18, 1 to 8. Together, we'll actually be looking at all the way through 19, 5, but we'll focus on 1 to 8 as our reading this morning. It says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning. I shall never see for this reason. Her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. You can be seated. Well, we are in a series in the book of revelation. If you've been sort of in that journey with us the entire time, uh, we're about week 10 into that series. And today we come to what is sort of the last part of the, of the second series. So we, second part of the series. So the first part was all seven churches of revelation, seven letters given to seven real churches in about 95 AD. The revelation is given from Jesus to John, the disciple and dispersed to these seven churches. The next part is what I would call the new Exodus. So it shows us how God in the apocalypse or in the end times is going to bring his people out of bondage and brokenness through judgment and into promise. Uh, So the bondage and brokenness of the world as we know it through judgment, we saw seven seals, judgment, seven trumpet judgments. We've seen the judgment of Babylon now through this judgment of the great tribulation and then into promise, which is kind of what we'll begin focusing on next week, the the restoration of all things and Uh, This promised land, this final promised land that uh, every believer will enjoy uh, for eternity. But today we come to what is like the dirge of Babylon. All right. So it says fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And this is ancient Near Eastern dirge language. And we see it all through this passage. So you are officially attending a funeral message for the hub of all evil in the world today. Come on. 
That's good stuff. How many of you would like a world without any evil impact in it? I mean, you've never experienced life like that. Never experienced life apart from the effects of sin. In your whole life, no matter how great you think your life has been, you've never experienced life without the impact of evil. And through the judgment of Babylon, we are seeing now God restore all things to what it was before evil first entered the picture in Genesis chapter 3. Back to Eden, back to paradise, or the restoration of all things. So let's take a look at this. There's some things we need to uh, learn. I think the first question that that Revelation chapter 18 answers is, why should Babylon be annihilated in judgment? So it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the only place that the Bible calls a city or a people or an influence on the world, a location, a haunt. This is, this is a wicked place. And everything that it lists there is unclean in the Torah. So detestable beast, things you shouldn't eat uh, based on the covenant in the Old Testament. Detestable birds. Uh, there's a whole unclean list of birds in the Old Testament. All it is saying to us is that this is the most unclean place, propaganda, and influence for evil in the world. Right. And so if you will think of it, if you're here last week, you'll remember some of this. But if you will think of it this way, take all the politic of of Rome, all the the pomp and circumstance and wealth of Rome and the evil nature, the false peace that Rome provided in the world by conquering with a sword And take the apostate religion of ancient Babylon, which was multiple gods. And and this phrase gets used over and over again. The worship was literally sexual immorality of these gods. Take that apostate religion and that apostate political system, put them together. And that's what Babylon is. And its influence on the world is extensive and its influence is evil In the eyes of God. So why should Babylon be annihilated in judgment? Because her influence and her power in the world is alluring and evil. It's economically favorable. Yet everything she is bringing is bringing uh, deception. So we get the dirge of Babylon. Now, Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 to 8 interesting thing it says then i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people lest you take part in her sins so in this revelation john is now saying on to us but on behalf of of god himself come out of the influence of babylon come out of babylon my people lest you you give into her sin and share In her judgment. Now, this is not a problem only in Revelation chapter 18 at that specific time period, but all through Scripture we find that there is a call on the people of God who are living in like cultural Babylon. 
You live in like cultural Babylon. I don't know if you know that or not. If you take the apostate political system of, you know, Rome and all of its sort of influences, how it uses education, entertainment, um, the political system, uh, even agora or shopping, um, all to propagate a message Kind of same thing here. The apostate religion of Babylon, same thing here, this pluralism and plurality. We live in a cultural uh, Babylon. And and we're not the only people in the in, in history that that have lived in a cultural uh, Babylon. Even Jesus walked the planet at a time when Rome was really in charge. He's walking around the land of Israel, and there are idols under every 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 tree. There is the, the worship of the emperor in northern Israel and on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. All that stuff. I mean, we're not the only people that have ever lived in cultural Babylon, but we live in a cultural Babylon, and there is a real tension for believers in the scriptures to be in the world but not of the world to be in it but not give in to the sin and the temptation of it uh paul says this in ephesians chapter 5 1 to 2 if ephesus is a town like this i mean it's a big city on a harbor opulence got all the might of rome inside of it all the all the awfulness awful underbelly of rome um, he says this, therefore, to the, to the church at Rome, the people of God in Rome, I mean in Ephesus, therefore be imitators of God and beloved as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So look, church at Ephesus, even though you live in Ephesus, even though they worship Artemis there, even though there's human trafficking and slavery like crazy there, even though the the sexual immorality, kind of the underbelly of the place is horrendous. You be imitators of God. Be a pleasing aroma in that place. And when the whole world comes to Ephesus to do business and to worship Artemis in that time, you be a pleasing aroma. You be a fragrant. Be in the world, but not of the world. John says in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 7 to 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is saying, look, if you are are a person that has given your life to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, you're really short-sighted. Because all of this is going to pass away. Instead, he would go on to say, you need to abide, abide, abide in Jesus over and over and over again. Because it's the people that do the will of God. In his will, they abide forever. Again, be in the world, but don't be of the world. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Therefore, go out of their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. This is language saying you, you've got to be in Corinth in this particular case, also uh, cultural Babylon. You've, but you have to not participate in the unclean things. 
You need to walk. Jesus would say it this way, like the, the, the whole world is walking in a wide path. And there is a narrow path. That's the way of Jesus. There's a narrow path. Anybody can walk it, but if you find it, you as followers of Jesus are supposed to be in the world where everyone's walking the, nar- the wide path. You're supposed to be walking the narrow path. You're still in it. Different path. So this is a tension that we see. John says, hey, come out of her, my people, to the people of God. Come out of Babylon, lest you get caught up in her sin and her judgment. Now, her sin is said, it is said of her sin that it is heaped as high as heaven in verse 5. It says that God remembers her iniquities, all of them, in verse 5. Verse 6 says a double portion should be for her in the cup she mixed. Last week in Revelation chapter 17, we saw this image of a great prostitute who represented Babylon. She had a robe that was either like royalty or a priestly garment, and she had a cup, and in the cup uh, was her plight, her, her way, her influence. And here John, John is saying God, God, God is going to judge her a double portion of everything she ever spun in that cup. Let's see. Well... Her sin is great. She, in verse 7, it says she's all about herself. She glorified herself and she lived in luxury. She goes so far as to say, I'm not a widow. I'm a queen and I will never taste judgment. And verse 7 and 8 says the queen will be taken down in a single day. Now, Babylon, according to this, according to all of the scripture, is a metaphor for evil in the world and evil influence in the world. Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon, was specifically that. We're talking about an influence away, maybe a location, maybe a city that is the most powerful, most influential, most uh, the biggest economic engine in the world at this particular time coming down in a single day. And it shifts everything. In Revelation chapter 18, 19, uh, it, well, it tells us her judgment is going to be death, mourning, famine. She's going to be burned up with fire because mighty is the Lord. He, he will smite that. Revelation chapter 18, verse 9, it says, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. So there are kings, leaders of nations that have alliances with Babylon, that when they step back and watch the destruction of Babylon, they will weep and wail. How could all that go away? In a single day. And that's really my third observation. In a single hour, everything changes in the world because of her judgment. If you read Revelation chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, it says, uh, They will stand far off, again, the kings of the earth, in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgments your judgment has come. And then it tells the impact of the judgment. It says, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. 
So suddenly the, the merchants of the land are not able to sell anymore because, because the economic engine is turned off. It goes on to say the merchants of wares, they have fear and they weep and they mourn aloud because economically they're being destroyed because the economic engine of Babylon is being turned off. It says the shipmasters and the seafarers who trade on the sea cry out and throw dust on their heads. This is throwing dust on your head is an ancient Near Eastern dirge practice they throw dust on their head and they weep and they mourn they're weeping the economic loss the global shift because of the destruction of babylon in verses 21 to 24 it says babylon will no longer make any sound listen to to what it says verse 21 then a mighty angel uh took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying so will babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more the sound of the harpist and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more now if this is a Roman-like city, a Babylonian, ancient Babylon-type city that is, is a source of wealth and economy for the entire globe. And the merchants of every type depend on it. In fact, it goes on to say in Babylon, the, the ones from Babylon were the mightiest of merchants, the strongest of merchants, the best merchants. If they all depend on it, then that city would be hustle and bustle. And when you go there, if you just went into the Agora, the shopping area of the city, there would be harpists. There would be people playing music for you to enjoy as you walk through the shopping area and buy whatever you'd like to buy from all over the world. And, and those things are listed in this passage of scripture, scented wood and ivory and all kinds of stuff. You could buy it there. Slaves, you could buy them there. That music will stay. Stop. In other words, you will not hear a peep out of Babylon ever again. It's utter annihilation, utter destruction. It says, the, 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 it goes on to say, a, a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. No one will work there. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. Nobody's building anything there. The, the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. There's, there's no light there. There's no people marrying and ha having families there. None of that is going on. Your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. I mean, that, that is a powerful influence. All the nations were deceived by your sorcery. That sorcery word is, is this, this pervasive evil influence in the world. And in her, verse 24, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. If you have a giant wide path of evil influence pouring out of Babylon, it is going to hate the people walking the narrow path. Look, Jesus, if you just look at Jesus, complicated scenario. But one part of that is Rome crucified him for insurrection. 
They did not like his way, his path. It was narrow. They wanted to keep the Pax Romana, the peace, the wide path that everybody walks. It happened to Jesus. The blood of the martyrs, all those that would follow Jesus and walk the narrow path in cultural Babylon where the path was wide, they would face martyrdom. And then their blood is, is in Babylon. On, it says, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. She's, she's a murderous, bloody mess. This is Babylon. And she will no longer make a sound. Now, how does heaven respond to that? How should we respond to that? So chapter 19, verses 1 to 5, it says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! You know what that means, right? Praise Yahweh. It's a, it's a, it is a word that gives praise to a very specific God. Because this, this culture, Babylon, had so many you can't count them. This says, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David, the lineage of Jesus, the one who said, I will send you a redeemer born in Bethlehem, the one who sent his son, his only son, the one he loved to be crushed for our transgressions, to in in a just way, take the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. I mean, I I constantly think about this. I can't help it. We would be Babylon apart from Jesus. Everybody recognizes that, correct? I mean, apart from Jesus, apart from the very good news that says he bore our transgressions on the cross. He satisfied the wrath of God on the cross and perfect judgment because he had never sinned. Apart from that, we would be cultural Babylon. But we've been saved. We've been transformed from these children of wrath that that the Bible says to being the children of God which is in complete identity change. So all of heaven rejoices and praises God when Babylon is utterly annihilated. They say, hallelujah, salvation, glory, power belong to our God. It says his judgments are just and true. Heaven is saying what just happened to Babylon was right. It should happen. He did it. He avenged the blood of the martyrs like he said he would in perfect judgment. Because he's a mighty God, the only one who can judge perfectly. He judged the prostitute and avenged the blood of his servants. That's the first hallelujah. In 19.3, we get a second hallelujah. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah, praise Yahweh. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Here's my translation. She's dead, dead. Babylon is dead, dead. She will no longer influence anyone. And the saints that she martyred are alive and saying, hallelujah. This is Revelation chapter 18. 
Heaven rejoices at the dirge of Babylon. I mean, if you ever went to a funeral and people were in the back going like, yeah, I'm so glad. Hallelujah. You know, you'd be offended. That is what heaven is doing at Babylon's death. Hallelujah. Finally. Third hallelujah, 19, four and five says this. And we, we get this now we're back in that throne room. If you remember the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen. That is just so be it. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, great and small or small and great. Heaven just responds at the utter destruction of Babylon with praise. Now, I imagine if you had sort of a human perspective during that time, you're walking the planet during that time. You'd, you might be, have this like, you know, pinhead view that we have. You know, we have a pinhead view of things, right? Like I have from 1973 till now from my little spot on the earth. That's kind of what I got going on. But God is over all that, right? He sees everything, how it's all working together. And we might have this view, like if we were there that day, it might be more like the king, like how did this happen? A weep and wail, that's all our economy and all that stuff. And, 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 and John is saying, come out of her. Because it's so temporary to see something human, that humanly powerful and influential destroyed, annihilated in one day. In a single hour, maybe hyperbole, maybe not. We don't know exactly, no, but it's a short time. We know that. And yet heaven is like, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah for the Father, hallelujah for the Son, hallelujah for the Holy Spirit. Well, what should our response be? Uh, Three that I see clearly here. One is this, is that we should, we should praise God, all you who fear him, small and great. All of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think that sometimes we lose sight of what is happening in the meta narrative, the big picture of what God is doing, He is restoring all things. The destruction of Babylon actually launches us into 196 and following, which is all the good stuff, where we're going to see everything restored. I'm glad we're. I'm glad Babylon is destroyed today. I'm, t- I'm tired of talking about judgment. How many judgments? How much tribulation? Yet, praise God, it all ends with the destruction of the hub of evil. We should praise him, all all of us who fear him, great and small. The second observation I would make by way of application for myself and for you is that we should do what what the word says when John says, come out of her, my, my people, come out of her. We do live in a Babylonian culture. 
we have all the stuff, the things, the influence, the, all of it. Whether, you know, I, I wouldn't say, we're Babylon, you know. If you're on the other side of the earth, they might say that. Did you know that, by the way? When they read that on the other side of the earth, sounds like America to me. What about you? We read it. Nope, nope. Sounds like them. It's not us, you know. It's a viewpoint. I don't know. I do know this. We have a culture that is similar. And we're, we're walking this path in the 21st century that is to be narrow when everybody else is walking the wide path. See, and so Jesus, in fact, you know, some people think of that and they think legalism, legalistic things like do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. You can't do that. You're on the narrow path. You can't do that. You're on the narrow path. It's not that. It's identity. It's who your dad is. Now, here's what I mean. You... When you came to Christ, you, you confess Christ as your Savior and Lord. If, you, if you've done that, you trusted him for salvation. You said, you know what, hum, humbly, I cannot save myself from my own sins. But I heard the good news that said Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. I believe he did that. I believe he rose again from the dead, just like the scripture says. I believe he ascended to heaven. I believe he's coming back again. You place your trust in him for something you can't control. You know you can't control everything, right? You have no control over what day you, you die necessarily. You, you had no control over what day you were born. You, you, you know that you have no control over that, that, that moment when you close your eyes and your heart stops. Who's in control there? You, you are small. You are very small. When you trusted him, you said, I'm going to trust you for that, for all the moments of life. And that moment when I can't even, I can't talk, I can't think, my heart's not beating, everybody's in the room, they pronounce me. I'm going to trust him for that moment. You trust him that, that he's going to do what he said he's, he, he's, he's going to do, that he'll raise you up, that he'll shepherd you from this life into eternity. There'll be a new heaven one day, a new earth one day. You trust him for, for all of that. And we trust him the same way now. It's not like eternity starts the day you die. It's like your eternity, your eternal walk with Christ started the day you confessed Jesus as Lord. You're living eternity. It's just going to be this hiccup. And then a funeral. But you're going to be in glory. You'll be with Jesus, according to the, according to the scripture. Now, what that means is that that belief came with a gift and the gift was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, somehow, I can't explain it, but Jesus says when, when he went, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we have salvation with him, become his kids, he puts his, he gives us a new heart and he puts his spirit inside of us. Right? So why am I walking the way that I walk in a cultural Babylon? It's because of what's inside of me. I'm not behaving my way anywhere. I'm trying to walk in the spirit. 
the way he would have me walk. And, and, and that's what we're called to do, to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus, did you know he prayed for you specifically in John chapter 17? I love this prayer. Uh, he was praying for his disciples at first, and then he transitions over and he begins to pray for all the people that would come to know him through the testimony of the disciples, which is every person that has ever followed Jesus. Here's what it says. John 17, 14 to 21. I have given them your word. This them here is the, the, uh, the 12. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. Jesus has just shown them for three years. How do you walk around in political Judaism and political Rome and maintain things like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In this world, you will have suffering. Take heart. I've overcome the world. All those things. He's already shown them how to live that out. He died, rose again. The beating he took, I I can't imagine. And he prays this. This is just before the cross and all that. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Like no exit plan. But that you keep them from the evil one. Now, we've learned a lot about the evil one in in the book of Revelation. The dragon, beast number one, beast number two. That you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Do you hear that? They have my identity. They're like me now. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That means like purify them with what is true because everything around them is going to be false. It's your word that they need inside, inside of them. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's the plan against all this Revelation 17 and 18 Babylon. The plan is that amidst all of that culture that comes at us, we're going to bring kingdom culture to it because we represent the, the king. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Listen to this. This has your name on it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I live in a cultural Babylon. Okay. There's lots of temptation, lots of suffering, lots of difficult. There's real spiritual attack. There's a temptation to just live like cultural Babylon. And Jesus is saying, like, sanctify them with, with, with your truth. Let them be in me and I in them, just like you and I are one. Let, let's let them and I be one. It's identity. It's who you are because of whose you are. Did you know everyone in the world is possessed? Everyone in this room is possessed. Biblically. It's clear. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. This is we're all possessed. Either possessed by Jesus and the kingdom of light, 
because we have confessed him and made covenant with him. Or possessed by Satan in the kingdom of darkness. So what are you saying, Pastor Brian? Everybody outside of Jesus possessed by Satan in, in the sense that they are owned. It says we were born children of wrath, born into sin. That's a scary thought. As a person possessed by Jesus in the kingdom of light, I, I, I should walk that way. And in that way, Jesus is saying, the, the people that are possessed by the, the, the evil one, they're going to see that and know that the Father sent me. So guess who is the Instagram for Jesus? You. You're the propaganda for the kingdom. Did you know that? And so we should be in the world and not of the world because of our identity. And here's the third thing. We need to, I think we need to more often look forward. This is going to sound morbid in a way. Look forward to the annihilation of evil. Look forward to the dirge of Babylon. Look forward to the annihilation of evil. This is plain language, but I'm going to say it because I think it makes so much sense. When you're suffering, you're going through something very difficult. Your mindset oftentimes, like if you just pass somebody that's got a t-shirt on that says like hashtag blessed, you're kind of like, shut up. (laughs) Because you're suffering. It could be really bad, like bad, bad. And you think that like... If I get that t-shirt, will I be? Here's the thing. With the annihilation of evil comes the annihilation of sin and suffering and its impacts. Again, you've, you've never lived a day in your life breathing air that wasn't impacted by the sin and, and, and Satan. What would it be like when you think about like Chell, the first time he experienced weightlessness, that's a, that's a, that is a unique experience. I'm not floating off the stage, right? It's a very unique experience. What will it be like? How unique will it be to be in a place where everything is restored? No more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. Everything's restored. There's no impact of other people's sins on me. There's no dark part of my heart that is driving me towards sin. There's no like spiritual attack or bondage because that's all outside the camp. We've had the funeral. It's over. Now we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb in the very next verse. Verse 19, 6 and following. And then you're living a life. So the plain language is this. When you suffer and it's bad, and maybe it you wanted it to kill you, but it only almost kills you. It was that bad. That's as close to hell in Jesus as you will ever get. That is as close to hell. As you will ever get in Jesus. Now, apart from Jesus, your best day here, whatever it is, 
That is as close to heaven as you will ever be. And your best day here is impacted by evil. Even on a good day. Because the world, it says the world is groaning for the restoration of all things in the scriptures. We don't even, it's like, it's like we breathe toxic air and we don't even recognize it. You know, because it's our normal. It's our normal. Like the last two years, you know, he's just like, oh, really, that happened? That's no big deal. I mean, because it's just one thing after another. And listen to me, church, Jesus Christ. You're living your eternity now to live as Christ, to die as gain. And when you do die in this body, if it's before the return of Christ, you will go be with him in this present heaven. And when he returns, you will rule and reign with him. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth where no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Everything is restored. A new Jerusalem. He gives us the dimensions and everything. Tells us the names of the gates. And just as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there will be a dirge for Babylon and he will restore all things. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And just ask the Lord to speak to you. Father, we, um, we are so glad that we get to call you Father. That you have judged our sin in Jesus on the cross and that you've poured out grace and mercy on us and that we are living your promises now and we will live them to the fullest extent in eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that you've given us for the opportunity that you've given us to walk a narrow path in a cultural Babylon. I pray that by our lives, people would know you. By our words, people would know you. By our demonstration of who our Father is, that that people would know you, Jesus. Father, I pray for everyone who might hear this teaching that doesn't know you. Father, for people that that don't know what it's like to have trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that by your spirit, you would woo them, that you would help them to believe that you loved them so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to save them from their sins and thus bring glory to your name. Draw them near to you. Father, for the church, help us to be in the world, but not of the world. Help us to be salt and light, that fragrant aroma. And let us each and every day, no matter the impact, praise your name. For you're the one that's restoring all things. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.